do you know who I am? That was the question I wanted to ask the lady behind the counter. I had spent 24 hours of travel. I was late to a conference. This was about three weeks ago. Going to an international conference. I had stayed in a city. I wound up in Miami for 24 hours because the next flight was the next day. I had missed my flight due to weather. So I got to the conference late. I had sent an email I had sent some text messages to at least two different people to have someone pick me up because I was the only one coming in on this flight late. I got through customs after a long period of time. I was one of the last ones off the airplane, you know, seated in the back. So I was tired. It was about 12.30 a.m. the next day, you know, so it's, it's dark. I'm just kind of grumpy. I go through customs. I come out of the airport. There is no one there to greet me. There is no one holding my name, like... I just know, okay, I'm on my own. So I wander out into the parking lot. I find a taxi driver, I think, or at least someone who is willing to drive me. It's one of those risky moments where you're like, okay, Lord, this is what we're doing. So I find this guy, and all I had on me was $25 cash US. I didn't have any other cash. He wanted $30 to drive me to the hotel, which is about a half an hour away. And so we sat there and argued for a little bit. Uh, and finally he gave in because there was no one else that was going to pay him to drive that night. So he was willing to take me, but he was upset. So, uh, he acted that way as we drove through the streets. Um, I could tell. So I finally wind up at the hotel. I'm standing there. I'm the only one there. There's one lady who's, I, I, that's her job to stay up all night, I guess, and, and help people. And so she's behind the counter. I tell her my name and she sits there and goes, And she asked my name again. What's your name? It's Thad. We don't don't have any record of you. Are you sure you have the right hotel? So I look to my left and there's a big sign that says International Conference of the Wesleyan Church. And I'm like, yep, I'm in the right place. I'm a part of that group. I have my reservation. I've got my confirmation number. I've got all these things. And she's confused. She's still typing away. I finally said to her, I said, listen, let's do this. I will get a room tonight and we'll figure this out in the morning. By now, it was about one o'clock in the morning. She said, uh, well, there's a problem. We don't have any rooms available. (laughs) That's when I wanted to go. Do you know who I am? I was personally invited by the general superintendent of the Wesleyan Church. I am a delegate from the North American Conference. Uh, My way has been covered for this conference to be here. I'm a representative. Like I just wanted to just tell her all these reasons why I was supposed to be there. It probably wouldn't have helped because she didn't care who I was. (laughs) I've pulled out my phone and I was hoping that I had service because my next step was to wake up Dennis Jackson, who's the director of Global Partners, and get him down there. Because even if she didn't care who I was, there was somebody that I knew who could help me out. But before I could do that, she found me. She said, you're registered for another conference at another time. Let me see what I can do. She starts typing away at the computer again. 20 more minutes, she finds me a room that she said I might have to move during the week. I didn't have to. That wouldn't have been a big deal for me. But she finally found me a room. So hours of of getting there and being there. But the feeling that I had was, 
you should help me. Like, do you know who I am? Have you ever wanted to ask someone that question? Like, it may not help you just like it wouldn't help me. I don't carry that authority or that clout, especially in those situations. I might know certain people who can help me out. Some of you, though, have that power and authority, and that question in and of itself assumes that, doesn't it? If you ever hear someone say, do you know who I am? It assumes that they have some level of power or authority that they carry with them, that whatever they possess can change things. It makes a difference. And if you know people like that, you know that they usually walk around with more confidence. They walk around with that authority or that power. It changes how they respond to situations because they know who they are. And I wonder if sometimes followers of Jesus Christ, if we don't go through life with a level of kind of weakness we find ourselves in situations where we're struggling and we just want to give in, we want to give up, and we see Christianity as being this meek religion that we somehow attain to, when in reality, being a Christian and being a follower of Jesus Christ means we are somebody. It means that because of Jesus Christ, we are a child of God and he has authority and he has power and it changes things and it should change the way we live. We should act differently because of who we are in Christ. And so my question to the church this morning is, do you know who you are? Is there something that you carry around in a relationship with Jesus Christ that makes a difference in how you live and how you respond? It was true for the early church. The early church was struggling because for the first decade, they, they had found a relationship with Christ and they were trying to live it out in a culture that didn't understand what Christianity was, oppressed the views of Christianity, persecuted those who were Christians. And so they were trying to live a lifestyle and live in a way of strength and power in Christ when the rest of the culture and the world was not accepting them. And so the early church writers, many of which were the apostles, right? They wrote letters to this early church and many of the letters are geared towards writing to this persecuted church, this church which is under oppression, to say, remember who you are. Remember who you belong to. Here's how you should live your life. And as we get into First and Second Peter, we re recognize that Peter was one of those apostles. After Jesus' death and resurrection, he was one of the 11 that were left. 10 of those 11 were killed, martyred because of their faith. Only John was exiled to the island of Patmos and died a natural death, the scriptures tell us. They paid a price for what they believed in, but they lived a life with power and authority and it made all the difference in the world. And so in 1 Peter, Peter is writing to this church that is exiled, that is scattered throughout the Roman Empire, who is living under oppression, who finds themselves at times living in, in weakness, compared to the rest of the culture. And Peter is writing to them. Now, Peter, there's more to his story, right? His name didn't start off as Peter. 
The New Testament tells us that his name was Simon. But when he met Jesus, things changed. Jesus said, I'm gonna call you Peter, meaning the rock. And from now on, you're gonna lead. Later in John chapter 21, he would tell Peter to feed his sheep and tend to his flock to lead the church after his ascension. And so Peter became the foundation or the leader of the church. And so writing to these people who are exiled, he has this to say. He calls himself Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ. Again, he recognizes that his identity is not in who he used to be, but in who Christ made him. He is the rock. His identity has been changed. He knows who he is. An apostle is one who has been called out by Jesus. To God's elect, exiles scattered throughout the providence of Pontius, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia. He's writing to these people who are scattered and he reminds them of who they are. You're God's elect. You're God's chosen. If you go on in this passage, he says, God predestined you to be his through his foreknowledge. You are God's chosen people. That's who God has made you to be. You might not feel it all the time, but that's who you are. He calls them exiles, and this is not only a physical, but a spiritual exile. Many of them were Jews who had relocated in different areas throughout uh, Asia Minor. So they found themselves physically living in a land where they did not grow up, maybe speaking languages that were different than their own. It was a different culture than their own. But it was also a spiritual exile. Christianity was not embraced. It was not accepted. And so Peter is calling them to something more, calling them to remember who they are. You are God's elect. He goes on in verse three, he says, praise be to the God and father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade. I wanna go back. Because Peter highlights for us three things that he would describe as a gift of salvation. He says, God has given us new birth. And like Peter, if you are a follower of Jesus Christ, God has changed you. You are no longer the same. You are forgiven. You've been given new birth, new life. You are someone new. You don't have to live the way you used to live. You don't have to fall for the same temptations you used to fall into. You have been made new. You are a child of God. God has done that for you. That's past. But it's also a present reality. He says, we've been given the gift of living hope. It's not just hope for the future and that we one day, oh gosh, I hope it will get better. No, this is a present reality of God's spirit dwelling in us as followers of Christ. We've not only been given a new life, we've been given living hope. That in the circumstances that we face, we know God is right there with us. We just sang that new song this morning about someone being in the fire with us. God being present with us. It is not just some future hope or false hope that we have in our world. It is a hope that is living and breathing through the person of Jesus Christ. That's a part of who we are. That's a part of our salvation. And then he says, we have a future inheritance. God has changed us. That is a past reality. 
We have a living hope. That's where we live today and we possess that. And we have a future inheritance. Peter would go on to say that that inheritance is a place in eternity in heaven. That God through his power is keeping for you and I. It's a promise for you and I. Peter describes our salvation in these three terms. New life, new birth, living hope, and an inheritance. That's what you and I, as followers of Jesus Christ, what we possess. And if you say, I am a follower of Jesus Christ, I am a Christian, then these things define that for you. That is who you are. And when you know who you are in Christ, it changes everything. It changes how you live. It changes how you behave. Peter goes on in the passage and he says, all, in all of this, you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while you may have had to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. Peter recognizes he wants them to know who they are because they face difficulty in this world. Just because you know Jesus doesn't mean that you're not gonna face difficulty, suffering and trials, grief and persecution. You're gonna face some things as a human being and as a Christian. But when you know Jesus Christ and you possess his salvation, the gift of salvation, you choose to live differently in the midst of that. You choose to stand up for your beliefs. You choose to live with living hope. And you respond differently. And the early church really did. They, they, lived, they lived differently. They, uh, it meant that they were a royal priesthood, a holy nation of people belonging to God in 1 Peter chapter 2. It meant that they could submit to God, ungodly authority in, in the Roman Empire. They could stand up to that. It meant that they could have godly marriages in 1 Peter chapter three. And as we go through the series, you'll begin to see how Peter keeps coming back to the fact that if you know who you are, your life looks different. You live with that power and authority. It means they could suffer for doing right knowing that God was the one that they needed to please in chapter three. It meant that they, like Peter, would eventually suffer for the sake of Christ and even the very sufferings of Christ. And they could do that for a period of time because their reality was not just in this world, but it was in the one that was to come. Peter goes on and says, this gift is so unique for you and I in the church. He says, concerning this salvation, the prophets who spoke of the grace that was to come to you searched intently and with the greatest care, trying to find out the time and circumstances to which the spirit of Christ in them was pointing when he predicted the sufferings of the Messiah and the glories that would follow. What Peter is saying here is that not even the prophets of the Old Testament had the gift that you now possess. Whether it was Moses or Isaiah or Jeremiah or Elisha, Elijah or others, they could only glimpse into the future the vision that God had given them. When they wrote the text of the promise of the Messiah, the one that God was to send, his anointed to bring about the redemption of humanity, they could only glimpse into the future and say, ah, one day, not in my day, but one day. Peter says, you are living in that day. You get the gift 
of salvation that not even Moses and Isaiah and the prophets of old got to have. Don't forget that. And then he goes on to say, it's not just the prophets. He says in verse 12, even angels long to look into these things. Angels don't know what it means to have the gift of salvation. They don't experience salvation. They don't experience redemption. That's for you and I. And when angels want to know more about what it looks like, what does it look like for Jesus to transform someone's life? The best the angels can do is to look on and watch you and watch you and watch you and watch you and to see the expression of salvation lived out. That's the best they can do to understand this gift that you and I have been given. Peter wants the church to understand this because they're gonna face trials. They're gonna face difficulties. But he wants them to know who they are. The gift of salvation changes who you are and how you live. It changes who you are when you understand that you have a new life, a living hope, and an inheritance in the future. You have an eternity that's been promised to you. I toyed around with different ways to phrase this this week. A couple of them that I had was, when you possess eternity, you live differently. When every day you think about the future and what will one day be, you live differently. You live with more power and authority in your beliefs. Another one I toyed with was, if Jesus is your savior, you change your behavior. It rhymes good, I don't know, it sounds a little cheesy, but there's something to that. When Jesus lives with you, your behavior changes. You no longer focus on the things that are going on around you, but you are focused on the one who will remain when this world is gone. Like the early church, we live in a world that does not value Christianity. At that very conference that I was talking about earlier, I ran into national leaders from India, and they were telling me, that it's illegal in their state where they live uh, to, to be a convert, to convert to Christianity, it's illegal. They take you to court, they question you, they ask you if someone talked you into becoming a Christian, you have to pay a fine to become a Christian, you're ostracized, you're, you lose jobs, it's illegal to be a Christian in that particular state. So when people become Christians, they, uh, they put them in a vehicle and they drive them across state lines to get baptized in another state of India where it's more legal to do that so that they don't have to pay more fines. Our missionary friends and national leaders in certain parts of Asia are questioned on a regular basis about why they're there. They're interviewed by authorities who have the right to kick them out of countries or take them to jail. And they want to know, why are you here? What are you doing? What is the reason for this? And they're standing up for their faith and what they believe because just like the early church, they know that their true authority doesn't lie in the government and the place where they live, but in God's power and his authority. And so they choose to live differently because they know they have the gift of salvation. And I know it looks different in North America, but you know as well as I do, things are changing. 
And oftentimes we feel oppressed in our own way. Some would say persecuted, certainly not like other places around the world. But you feel devalued or you feel weak as a Christian in our culture. (laughs) Peter's words are just as relevant to you and I today to remind us of who we are in Christ. Because when you understand that, you live differently. You live with God's power. You live with God's authority. You're able to stand up for your faith and be who you are in Christ. Do you know who I am? Say that with me. Do you know who I am? Say it again. Do you know who I am? Turn to somebody around you and just ask that question. Some of you are like, I wish I didn't know who you were. But anyway, uh, how different, church, would we begin to live if we understood that and lived that out? To be reminded of who we are in Christ, that we've been given new life. Our past, it's forgiven. It's forgotten by God. We don't have to fall into the same pattern of living that we used to live. We can live above temptation. We can overcome sin in our lives. We can live godly lives. We can have godly relationships and marriages. We can stand up to those who oppose us. We have a new life, a living hope, and an inheritance that God is keeping for us through his power. Do you know who I am? I am a child of God. And it makes all the difference in the world. I was talking with Chip Hackney before the service today and Chip lost his father this week to cancer. But even the last week while he was in hospice care, Chip said he had his hands raised knowing he was dying, knowing he was suffering, hands raised giving praise to God. How can someone do that? They can when they know who they are. When the doctor says to you, I'm sorry, you have cancer, you can go, yeah, in this life. But this isn't the only one I have. I get another one. And I get a new body. And I have a new hope. When you're confronted by people because of your faith, (laughs) You can go, I'm sorry that you feel that way. But God has changed my life and I'm gonna honor him. There's nothing you can do to take that away from me. You can't take away my salvation. God has given that to me. It's a gift. When you know who you are, you live differently in Christ. My prayer, church, is that we as the people of God, as followers of Christ, would live that way and live with that assumption of power and authority whenever we're confronted with temptation or sin or others, when it comes to our beliefs, we can just simply remind ourselves, yeah, this is who I am. Some of you might have to say it out loud this week. (laughs) Do you know who I am? And remind people, I'm a child of God. I have the gift of salvation. And because of that, you don't have to fear anything that this life can throw your way. Let me pray. 
Lord, thank you for the gift of your salvation. What a difference it makes in our lives. Lord, I wanna pray for those who don't know Christ as their savior. That they don't know the living hope. They don't know what it means to walk each day with new life. To know that they have the promise of eternity. I pray, Father, for our one lives that as we reach out and we share our faith with those who don't know Christ, that they would see the hope that we have, that they would know the transformation that has been brought in our own lives and that they would want that. God, we pray for more. For those of us who have been living in this like meekness when it comes to living out our faith and weakness, I pray that we would now have the authority and the power as we are reminded of who we are in Christ. Give us that, Lord, we pray. Help us to overcome in times of suffering and in times of trials. Lord, thank you for your presence that lives with us each day, that gives us living hope. And we thank you for the gift of eternal life that is, comes from your son, Jesus Christ. It's in his name that we pray. And all of God's people said, amen.